And if anybody experiences something like this, don't be pulled off, just get straight in there. You know, and I think you've got to have that. Why rest on your laurels? Why just sat, sit there in misery? You know, some people really choose to do that. But my choice was, no, I'm going to, I know I'm going to be medically retired. I've done that. I'm moving on. I'll do something else. And I went and found a course and it was called a higher national certificate, which was part time. It was really a couple of evenings a week. And I sat there on the interview and the guy said, I, I can't accept you on this course. I said, well, why not? He said, no, 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 you need to be on the diploma course, the full-time course. I said, yeah, but it's full-time. I couldn't physically manage full-time. He said, full-time isn't full-time. It's only three days a week, he says, and it's dotted around the week and you've got study sessions and all this. You'd manage it, no problem. So I did that. Went on the diploma course, which was great. And and then I got the grades that were good. So I I went on to do a degree at the university then. So, you know, if you apply yourself and you map out you may not know where you're going with that future but you do something you have set some purpose out in your life and you've got to do that if you have this kind of adversity because it helps you out of it the absence of purpose and the absence of action and you just wallow and you can't afford to do that we only have one life right what am i going to do now what's open to me and that's where my thoughts started what's open to me and then I started exploring. That's Paul Stretton Stevens, and I'm Brian Falchuk. This is Do A Day. You'll hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned. I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know we can all overcome and achieve because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers, welcome to another episode of the show, Do A Day. I have really interesting story in this guest today. His name is Paul Stretton Stevens. Paul has this repeated pattern of having to be medically retired from his job. It happens twice because of his back and pain and needing to use uh, crutches that ensues from these back issues and surgeries. He loses his sight, and that forces him to retire from his career as a head of school, as an educator. And these are all times where a lot of people could give up, be understandable if you did that, Uh, could certainly sit in a lot of why me feelings, a lot of hopelessness. And actually, the disability advisor he was working with was basically telling him that too, to dampen your views of yourself, dampen your expectations. And that's not how Paul's wired. He has chosen and reinforced that choice over and over again because he's gotten a lot of chances to build this muscle to look at what's open to him rather than what's closed off. It's a great perspective. Paul does a fantastic job relating his story, and so you can see where they're really living with it. He proves any of us can do this. Paul's an author, a coach, a speaker, and a futurist. So he thinks about what life will look like and what that means for us and how we need to adjust because he's someone who's had to adjust a lot. So he should know something about that. I'm really excited to get into this conversation. It's great. I mean, just what he has been through and how he looks at that and just pushes right ahead and builds himself up and gets more education and creates more possibilities 
when other possibilities are taken away from him. It's really inspiring. So let's jump into this episode with Paul Stretton-Stevens. Paul Stretton-Stevens, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really um, it's exciting for me to, to get into your story and some of the things we were just talking about before recording. Had me very amped up to do that. Okay, thanks for inviting me. Um, so I do want to go into your story and, and some of these themes that we were talking about unofficially off the record. Um, but before we do, if you just give sort of a high level, who are you, what do you do today? And then we'll, we'll build back into that. Okay, as you mentioned, I, I'm Paul Stretton-Stevens. I work as a future mindset coach. Uh, I'm also a bit of a futurist. Um, I'm very into what will happen to human beings in our future. I'm also an author uh, and a speaker. What, tell me more about futurist, because I think when people hear that, they think it's sort of like Blade Runner. You, you draw pictures of what the world will look like, and it's all sort of dystopian. It's always raining and dark in these views. What, what, is, what do you mean when you say futurist? Okay, when I, when I talk about being a futurist, I mean, there are lots of technological, technological elements anyway with AI, et cetera, and the advances in technology. But I, lo I look at what is the future for us human beings? What skills do we require in the future? What knowledge do we require in the future? How are we going to cope and manage in the future? So, for example, autonomous cars. Mm. They're, they're, on a, they're just around the corner. Yeah. I've read a recent report by De Deloitte, and you know, they're saying five to ten years now, we're going to have autonomous cars. Yeah. And they, they put this scenario together, which is very clever, and it's, and it's very well done, that... You imagine Erica and her husband, they're on Saturday morning, they're going to visit her relatives, they're taking their three kids with them. They could hire um, an automated pod to take them there, autonomous pod to take them there. Yeah. Uh, but they use their large auto pod, which they rent out for school runs in the week. And when they get in there, mum and dad are catching up on their emails. Each kid's got a different program playing. Uh, somebody's gaming, somebody's watching TV, somebody's listening to music. The whole wall of the thing is is a screen. Yeah. They've got autonomous speakers, so nobody can interrupt anybody else. And mum and dad can take courses and learn and re-educate themselves for the new world of work. Uh. Because all these practical workers we've got, what are they going to do with everything that's automated? Yeah. And part of that report is that they want people to be more creative and more technically minded. And But how do they get that retraining? And what's that period of transition? And what skills do they need? Yeah. So I'm really interested in that side of things. And also, from a coaching point of view, what will Generation Y and Generation Z need in order to work for, and in their lifetime, it's likely to be 60 years. Mm -hmm. There's a wonderful book called The 100-Year the Life. And in that, they predict that Generation Z will, half of them will live over 100 years of age. And they will all have 60-year careers where they're going to be continually learning and developing along the way. Yeah. A part of that is going to be from, from coaches. But it probably delivered in a very different way. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, it, it is, a, I mean, whether it's five years, 10 years, 20 years, or two, there's, there's lots of different predictions around all that. But there is this sort of sense of autonomy, um, different ways of consuming information, and and a wholesale shift in what people do, or, or large scale, maybe it's not everything, but general shift in what people do thematically. Yeah. Um, so that's that's really interesting. Um, 
Yeah. So I'm, as a as a car buff, there's all kinds of places where my personal interests are now starting to take my mindset, and I'm like, oh, that's not what the show's about. So we got to come back to center. But it's very interesting. <laughs> it is, yeah, um, yeah. And even, I mean, just for us recording this week, this is the week that um, GM's cruise automation unit revealed their new um, cruise origin pod, which is an autonomous shared vehicle. GM's going to start building them in 2021. So, yep. you know, not five to 10 years off. Now, who knows how ubiquitous it'll be and how far it'll go and all that. But um, it's this, you're right. They are just around the corner. This and, stuff and is coming. An interesting thing, just you mentioned that, was that we choo- we've been choosing our vehicles based on comfort, lifestyle, miles per gallon, you know, yeah. brake horsepower, you know, everything. And they say in the future, that's not going to be the case. It's like the space inside, the connectivity inside. Uh, you don't need a windshield anymore because it's going to be a screen. Yeah. So you don't really need, need to see where you're going. Yeah. You, everything's going to be chosen. The vehicle's going to be chosen based on those different attributes. Yeah. So our, our method of choosing in life is going to change. Yeah. Oh, it'll be interesting to see what that does on the aesthetic side. A lot of people have had it, the The origin has been very polarizing as people look at it. I think yeah. it looks pretty cool. But when we think of a car, we think of what are we going to drive and we think of something sleek and, you know, maybe it's a tough looking SUV or whatever, whatever your fancy is. But yeah, the basis for what a vehicle means to us will shift. What will that mean for the aesthetics? And we've seen aesthetics shift over time anyway. I mean, you go back to the 1920s to the 50s, 60s, and and now it's all totally different. Yeah, Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, different show, but maybe we should talk about that sometime. (laughs) Um, Okay, so 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 that's that's what you do today. Um, but talk to me a bit about your career because in the, or your life really because in that journey, um, when we first connected and I, I saw the the bits of it that I was like, yeah, this would be such an inspiring story. Um, you have done some quite different things that you've had you've had to stop because of things that have come up along the way and and situations you've had to face that were difficult and cause the shift so i'd love to start to get back into that bit of your story okay okay so where should i start all right then let's let's start at school because that that is the foundation for all of us yeah and i I don't know about you how many schools did you go to brian oh man uh four or five i don't know okay i I went to 12 wow okay 12 different schools and that was for a variety of reasons my father was in the services uh, uh, and then when he left, my parents divorced, which meant when we moved around again. And that taught me a lot of things. That taught me a lot of uh, communication skills, for one, because you, if you're the new, the new kid, you know, you don't start at the start of the year. Sometimes you start during the year and you really stick out. You know, you stand out like a sore thumb and you're the target of everybody. You know, the nice ones and the not so nice ones. Yeah. So you have to learn those communication skills and you have to stand up for yourself. And it also taught me to be flexible because not every school I went to was following the same educational program. And I'll give you an example. I went to one particular school. And this always <laughs> reminds me of this. And I was sat in this class of Latin. And uh, I'd never done Latin before. I hadn't even a clue what it was all about. And I was sat in this class and this teacher's spouting out in latin and i have no idea what he's talking about and he come to me and said why aren't you working i said I, I don't know what's going on i said i've never done this before he says 
well, these are in their second year. He said, you can't possibly catch up. He said, you know, um, you've never done it before. I said, no. He said, okay, you go and find somebody and have some extra English classes. He said, because you'll you'll never catch up on this. I said, fair enough. And that's it. And and that experience was echoed in a few different subjects with the different schools. They were at different levels or there were different uh, points within the syllabus or a curriculum. And it was always playing catch up or, or or you've already advanced and you're going backwards because yeah. you've moved to somewhere where they're behind. And you well, think, that's oh. I was just going to ask, are you were you always behind or were there some because that, that can if that's always the story, it can lead you to feel a certain way. Yeah. But you had somewhere you were ahead as well. Some you were ahead, some you yeah. were behind. Right. Yeah, it just depends on and some you've never done the subject before. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it was a, it was strange, but it, it gave me communication skills and it gave me flexibility of life. Just not communication skills in Latin. Not not in Latin, yeah, yeah. definitely not. <laughs> Although I can speak Spanish now. Okay, so in the spectrum. <laughs> but that came later. Yeah. <laughs> so, I lived in inner city Nottingham, was the last school I went to. Yeah. Um, Nottingham in the UK, for anybody who's not familiar with the UK, is in the central eastern part, uh, Robin Hood country. And the, most of the kids at the school were destined for two places, well, three places. There was two factories opposite the school. One made cigarettes, players' factory, and one made bicycles, the rally factory. And then we had mines and the pits, what we call the pits, the mines, not too far away. So you were destined for a, one of those three destinations, really, most people. And I just thought, well, this isn't for me. And where, did, where did you come from? And I mean, I know you moved around a lot, but were you, were you, you know, your, your origin area, was that equally sort of blue collar? Or had you come from a more, you know, white collar kind of setting? So no, what, blue was, collar. No, okay. my, my, my father was in the, the armed forces. And when he left, he, see, it's really difficult re-employing a, a you know, a soldier. Yeah. You know, he was a Marine. Yeah. So when he came out, he, he ended up working in a factory. Mm -hmm. You know, in a lace factory, making lace, because Nottingham was famous for making lace. And that was it. And I think that that didn't serve him well. Mm. You so know, you had that story in front of you. Yeah. yeah. So I thought, well, I'm going to join, and I'm going to join the services. And my only reference point to that was the Marines. So I, jo I joined the Marines. Yeah. So I hit ooh, 16 in the July, and in September I was in, I was in the Marines as a junior oh. Marine. Oh. And uh, I did all the training for that. And, uh, and I was going home on leave one day, and there was some uh, – Royal military policemen on the platform of the tra uh, train station, and I was—I needed to talk to these for, for whatever reason. I ended up chatting to them, and uh, I found that what they were doing was quite interesting. Their their work, and the Marines was great, and it was really challenging, and it was really it was tough. Yeah, you know, it was nine months. The basic training is nine months, yeah. and it is really grueling. And you know, you you you're super fit, and you you. Your skills are a second to none, and then you want to join your unit, which is fine. But these guys had something else. They were intellectually working in a different way, working in, with military law and civilian law, and they had avenues of working with close protection, bodyguarding. Uh, they had combat policing. They had general policing. And, I, and this got me thinking. I thought, well, I was quite interested. So I gave my details to these, these two guys, and then I just forgot about it and just carried on. And then I got somebody contacted me uh, months later. Yeah. I said, uh, you know, we're looking for people to join, um, you know, and are you interested? 
And at that time, we were in Cold War. Yeah. So uh, I thought about it, and I, I I ended up joining the Royal Military Police, and it was uh, it was really a good move. Had you been deployed at all as a Marine? Had you seen combat? No, okay. no, I hadn't. No, I was I was too young at that point. Yeah. No, um, I'd gone into the unit, and the unit wasn't wasn't um, in any particular conflict at the time. It was uh, like a resting unit. Yeah. Um, so I went to the Royal Military Police and got posted to Germany. Oh. Um, I was in Canada. Was in Northern Ireland, um, worked in Norway. So I, did, I travelled a bit oh. and worked a bit. And the, the work was good and challenging. And whenever you went on patrol, there were only two of you. And you, you had autonomy. You had to use your own skills, your own initiative, your own communication skills. Hmm. Um, whereas in other elements of the military, you, you don't necessarily have that level of autonomy when you're working. Hmm. And it made for it made for interesting work, you know, some some interesting adventures. Yeah, you get to travel around to some pretty interesting places, and and actually, it sounds like engage your mind in a way that you might not have gotten to if yeah. you had stayed the original course. Absolutely, but I was always interested in sport. I mean, I was I was had all the fitness in the Marines and did the martial arts, and when I joined the military police, and not many people know this, but when they do their fitness test they have to be slight slightly faster than the rest of the army when and the military when they do their fitness test because the the premise of that is all of our suspects uh are in the military and they're all highly fit so we have to be that faster in order to <laughs> yeah. catch them yeah that's really interesting it makes perfect sense and i would not have thought about that yeah so when they had a 11 and a half minutes to do a certain test we had to do it in 10 mm. and running and this sort of thing yeah yeah so uh and I, I wasn't aware of that until I joined up. So that, that became an interesting aspect. But I really liked the sport and the activities and the martial arts. And I became a PE instructor in the unit, a physical education instructor in the unit. Yeah. And then I heard of a job that was in, the, in civilian life uh, as a physical education instructor. So I applied for that. Were you, were you at a point where it would have been natural to leave or were you looking to leave for some reason? I'd done five years at that point. And as a military policeman you in the UK, you move every two years on your own as an individual, not as a unit. Mm -hmm. So a bit like replicating what I was doing at school. You move yeah. as an individual and you, you have to settle down and mix in with the people in, in your work when yeah. you get there. Because you're, you're there. You may know a few people. You may not. Yeah. And you go and you start from scratch again in a new unit. And I had a, a child at that point. Uh. So we decided... Is it a good thing to be moving every two years, forever, you know? Or is it now a time to, to move out and move on? Yeah. Uh, and that's what we decided to do. Then I became a physical education officer and trained in I think eight, nine different sports as a coach. And, and this is an interesting thing as well, because when I speak to people about being a sports coach, they just think you're talking about the actual discipline or the actual activity or the sport you're doing at the time. But, and I think you'll probably understand this as well, that when you're coaching somebody in a, in a sporting activity, they don't always turn up ready and motivated. No. They got girlfriends, they got wife trouble, they got boyfriend trouble, they got money troubles, they got yeah. all sorts of things in the background that affects their performance. Yeah. So as a coach, it's not just a case of, okay, we're doing this, 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 and this. It's like, 
getting them, working them through, getting the right state of mind to perform in the first place. Yeah. And supporting them through all those different issues. Yeah. So that's where my coaching really started because I was working working with individuals and teams. Of course, with the team, you've got you know, for a rugby team, you've got 15 individuals that have got individual issues. Some are highly motivated, some aren't. Yeah. And some of those issues are with each other. And some of them are with, yeah. with each other. Yeah. So yeah. you have to deal with all that side of things as well. So that's really where my coaching started. And I did 10 years of that. Yeah. And uh, and I loved every minute of it, you know, and I was, I say, super fit. I used to cycle to work every day, 10 miles. Yeah. Pull in a 12-hour shift in in physical activity and participate in most of the activities as well, and then cycle home and do that every day. Yeah. You know, and I was, I was really proud of my level of fitness and my expertise and my college, uh, my coaching. And, and then I got home one day and I sat on the sofa and I went to get up. I had no lower left leg. It just didn't function. Oh. I was like, hmm. Do you know, like sometimes if you lay down at night and you put your, your arms under the pillow and yeah, you go fall to sleep, asleep, yeah. and then you have to try and revive them and get them going. Well, I just thought it was that, and it didn't. It just didn't come back. And then I, I tried to go to the bathroom, and that didn't work. I thought, I'll, I'll just call my village doctor. And he said, okay, don't worry. I'm going to send you an ambulance. I said, what? He said, yeah, I'm going to send you an ambulance. He said, don't, you, know, you need to go to the hospital. I said, well, the leg's just dead. You know, he said, no, no, you've got to go. Yeah. Sure enough, five minutes later, an ambulance, blue light, arrives, takes me to the hospital, and they operate that night. How old were you, Paul? Uh, ooh, 32. So, yeah, really young. Yeah, 32. It's so a, I was, It was a disc? Yeah, it was a disc. Yeah. Gone. And I, I was no, the same age when, when my first one went. No yeah. prior warning at yeah. all. And... uh that was really devastating because when you're doing so, such such amount of physical activity, yeah, and uh, and I noticed one of the things you're you've got here on your images is kayaking. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was one of my things, one of my sports was kayaking, you know. And I, I lived at that point just miles away from Home Pier Point Water Sports Center, which was uh, the artificial white water mm. for the kayaking. You know, I was cool. a kayaking instructor there, of course. You'll know what it's like if you have your back's gone. Yeah, it's not happening, is it? Yeah, no way. It's all it's all torquing from the base of the spine and your core. Yep, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, uh, did the operation and I was off work for six months to recover. They wouldn't let me back because of the level of physicality in the work. Yeah, and I went back. The only thing I didn't do was play rugby. Yeah, I thought that was a sensible thing to not to do. <laughs> I get. I had asked you just out of personal curiosity. Um, sure. Which which disc was it? L five S one. Yeah, same one for an open back, or mm -hmm. yeah, because yeah. you know now it's it's micro now. You're in and out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So well, and the reason why I ask is, um, and maybe this this will come up later, but open back surgery, while necessary in some cases, you you end up with scar tissue, and it's such a tight area yeah. that. While it you you may have to have the surgery, it's next to impossible not to have some sort of ramifications and repercussions because of that. Because the tolerances are so tight, and you will have some level of scar tissue, you know, extreme or otherwise. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So this this is when when people hear back surgery, I think it still elicits a response in them. Of, oh wow. Um. But 
but back then before there was any micro options it was always oh wow yeah it was. Um, so yeah, yeah that and your doctor said don't worry which is lovely of him but don't worry followed by i'm sending an ambulance yeah yeah um yeah wow so, so anyway i did that went back to work no problem moved to a different environment of work but still physical education and coaching and then myself and my colleagues were walking to the door one day and the, there was the floor was wet there's no signs to say it was wet uh, and i just slipped and i don't know whether you uh how do i say this <clears throat> if you imagine by a main door of a building they have like a, a recess and they have like coconut matting in there so people wipe their feet yeah like a big mat yeah and they normally have this brass edging on the side and i just caught my back on that and it went again and it was one of those things and anyway they did everything so they put off surgery and it, that didn't work and they said look we, we've got to do it again we've got to go in again and this was like three years later same disc different area what same disc uh. and like you said with the scar tissue in the in what in the way the first group of surgeons said we're not going to touch this we're going to send you to a neurosurgeon because yeah. with the level of spot scar tissue there it's going to tear yeah and so and it's really close to the spinal cord so yeah. they got to do it anyway they did it um, and then when I woke up, I had no lower left leg. Yeah. It just didn't function at all. No sensation whatsoever. And, uh, <clears throat> that was tough yeah. because that was, that was the case of not going back to work to do the job you love, you know? Yeah. And you're uh, what? 35, 36 years old at this point. Yeah. About that. Uh. Yeah. So they, they, they retired me from work and I, I remember we, here we have some, somebody called the Disability Employment Advisor. Yeah. And I think they're more well-trained these days than they were then because the one that came to see me said, look, you just need to get used to your normal, you know, your, your living situation. And, and it, it could take a couple of years to do that, you know, before you decide to do anything else. I said, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. I've signed up to re-educate myself. I'm going to do a high national diploma in business and marketing. And she said, no, no, it's far too soon for that. I said, and this is like on a probably a Thursday or the Friday, I think. I said, I start Monday. Oh. And she's like, no, no, you can't do it. I said, I'm, I'm going. I'm, that's what I'm doing. I'm starting Monday. Yeah. And at this point, I was on elbow crutches for short distances. Yeah. And a wheelchair for longer distances. And I, here I had an automatic car. Yeah. Fortunately, it was a left leg that was not functioning. So the right leg was fine for driving. Any progress in your leg from that point to when you, you had this discussion or it was just totally had no sense? No sense. Yeah. It was, oh, well, I'll come to this because this, well, I went back to education anyway. I, I remember. And if anybody experiences something like this, don't be put off, just get straight in there. Yeah. You know, and I think you've got to have that. Why rest on your laurels? Why just sat, sit there in misery? You know, some people really choose to do that. But my choice was, no, I'm going to, I'm now going to be medically retired. They've done that. I'm moving on. I'll do something else. Yeah. And I went and found a course, and it was called a higher national certificate, which was part-time. It was really a couple of evenings a week. And I sat there on the interview, and the guy said, I, I can't accept you on this course. I said, well, why not? He said, no, 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 you need to be on the diploma course, the full-time course. I said, yeah, but it's full-time. I couldn't physically manage full-time. He said, Full-time isn't full-time. It's only three days a week, he says, and it's dotted around the week, and you've got study sessions and all this. You'd manage it, no problem. So I did that. I went on the diploma course, which was great. Yeah. And, and then I got the grades. 
it was good. So I can I went on to do a degree at the university then. So you know, if you apply yourself and you map out, you may not know where you're going with that future, but you do something. You have set some purpose out in your life, and you've got to do that if you have this kind of adversity, because it helps you out of it. The absence of purpose and the absence of action, and you just wallow. Yeah, and you can't afford to do that. We only have one life. Yeah. Did did you just just take action? And I use the word just intentionally there, or did you have some time to reflect and plan things out a bit or to say, well, what am I interested in? What could I push on? Or was it just sort of like, listen, I got to pick myself up, do something. Oh, I see that. I'm just going to go do that. Well, from being discharged from the hospital to and say this, I remember going to the hospital. It was an hour's drive and for a five minute appointment. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and the surgeon, uh, I mean, I wouldn't like to have been in his shoes. I, I have to admit, I mean, what they have to do, the doctors, is is phenomenal. And what they have to tell patients sometimes is 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 awful. Yeah. And he just said, look, I'm afraid you're going to have to get used to living on elbow crutches and going in a wheelchair for long distances for, for maybe the rest of your life, he said. And I just wouldn't accept it. Yeah. I said, no way. I said, there's just no way. I said, not going not gonna to happen. And I remember, you can't storm out of an office, can you, when you're on elbow crutches? Because no. you're really slow. <laughs> But I slowly stormed out of the office yeah. and drove in silence home with, uh, with, the, with the driver I had with me. And I remember, right, what am I going to do now? They're definitely going to medically retire me. Yeah, I can't carry on in the job. So what do I do? Where, what, what, what's open to me? And that's where my thoughts started. What's open to me? And then I started exploring. And I came up with doing the, the business and marketing. It was local to me. It was at the right level. Um, my only weakness at that point would have been maths because I hadn't done it since I was at school, really, to, to a high, high degree. So I attended a remedial class every week to bring my level up for business decision maths. Yeah. And, uh, and that was fine. I, was, I actually quite enjoyed that. I mean, at the end of that particular module, I, I remember getting 100%. So, you know, you, you find your weakness. Yeah. You might say, some people might have said, well, I can't do that. He's got maths. Yeah. That's, and they would have discarded the whole course just because it's got one element that they're not comfortable with or it's not in their comfort zone. Yeah. But break out of the comfort zone. Yeah. You know, get, get some help. So ask other people. I think, especially guys, I think we're sometimes a bit reluctant to ask for help. Yeah. I And I think people, A, are uncomfortable with where they have discomfort and don't want to be in that place yeah but you were well i mean that that to me is a sign that like well maybe that's exactly where you need to be and we get to choose whether we actually put ourselves there and, and or we listen to that story in our head that we can't we're not good enough we don't know how and, and math's a great example because that's so many people use that as oh but you know i'm never going back to school because i i don't like math or you hear some people, I'd love to be a vet, a doctor, a nurse, or whatever, but I, I can't do biology. Well, yeah, listen to how you're saying it, and you're not even trying. So maybe you should try and push yourself in there. And you may find that you're different than when you were 13 and tried it last or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I remember I did the first uh, class of business decision maths. I was like, wow. And uh, every, every two weeks we had a test. And I thought, Wow, I've just done one week and I've got a test next week. I haven't done maths for years. Yeah. <laughs> so I did this test and I, I just scraped through. I think about 60% was the pass mark and I got about 63. 
So I was pleased with that. I thought, oh, okay, that's not too bad. And I said to the guy, I said, look, where can I get some help here to up my level? He said, well, you pass. It's okay. So everybody was around the same. I said, yeah, but that's not good enough for me. I want to be higher than that. I want to be better than that so I understand it more, you know. He said, well, you can go to the library and there's this lady there. She does maths remedial every Thursday lunchtime or whatever it is and go and do that. So I went and did that. And that final test went like 100%. And he said, yeah, you, you cracked it. Yeah. You know, that feeling you get afterwards yeah, can't great. be replaced. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you perceive it to be a weakness and that ends up being one of your strengths. Yes. Uh, because you've made a decision, you've chosen to work through it great yeah it's incredibly rewarding absolutely yeah you just have to give yourself the chance to be rewarded by that yeah and i think and i wrote a post about this a while ago about you know even the smallest successes you need to celebrate mm. and it might be just by the buying yourself a beer or buying yourself a bar of chocolate or going to the cinema whatever you're doing celebrate it you know, you get that first call if you just opened up a business and you get that first customer. Celebrate it. Yeah. You know, all along the way. And all those celebrations build up and build momentum for the future. Yeah. And, and I think that really works. Yeah. You know. So anyway, I did that. Did, did the degree afterwards, the business management degree, which was, uh, which was you know, I enjoyed. It was all people-oriented. Mm. all about organizations and individuals within organizations and organizational uh, behavior, et cetera. So that really got me thinking, mixing my coaching background with business management. Mm. And you end up with what I've got now. Yeah. You know, I didn't know that at the time, but that's what I, I've got. I've got to end up with now and the experience in between. But uh, back pain is painful. Yes, it is. You know, and after that second one, I remember I used to go to a pain specialist fairly regularly and they tried different things. And I lived in a particular county, like a province. And I heard in the next county there was a a doctor over there that had this pain management technique that the guys I was seeing didn't have. Yeah. So I remember going to this appointment. And I said, look, I've heard that this doctor over here has got this, uh, this technique and I, I'd like to go there. And I lived literally about five minutes from the border of the county. Okay. It's not too far. Not too far. Yeah. And he said, no. He said, you can't because of the funding. He said, they're funded differently. Oh. And I said, well, I want to go there. <laughs> I says, you know, there's, there's got to be a way around the funding. And, yeah. you know, just, I've got these documents. You can sign it and I can go. And he said, I can't sign them. I said, fine. I said, that's no problem. You've got a waiting room full of patients out there. And this is your consulting room, and I'm not moving from here until you sign it. And he and he's like, he was really. I said, I'm sorry, but it's come to this, but I need this. Yeah. <laughs> you know what you're doing for me isn't working, and you've said it yourself it's not working. This is a chance that might work. Yeah. I said, but you're saying I can't have it because of funding. Yeah, and it's I not said, like you're asking him for, you know, opiates or you know, some, some drug prescription that he's not to be giving you that you're, you're asking for a modality for treatment to help. Yeah. You're not asking him to. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, so the, the treatment was that they had this, uh, stimulator that would cut off the pain signal to the brain. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, it sounds good. Why not? So anyway, I sat there 
And then the nurse came in and had a chat with me. And then somebody else came in and had a chat with me. And then the doctor's trying to convince me. I said, I'm going nowhere. And uh, he disappeared and then came back a short while later. He says, where's the paperwork? <laughs> and I gave him the paperwork, yes. signed the paperwork. I said, thank you very much. And I was gone. Yeah. You know, that was, that was it. I went to see this guy in the next county and he had this, and it's very crude the first time they put it into you, this, they wire it into the spine above the injury site. Yeah. And then you have this external wire and then they strap to your top of your chest, the power pack. Yeah. And you can turn it on and off and up and down, depending on your level of pain. Yeah. And you're awake when they do this, I have to say, because they need to make sure they've got the right nerve. Yeah. But that was a little bit hairy, yeah. shall we say. Yeah. But when they switched it on, it worked. The pain just disappeared. And it acts like a short circuit. It just doesn't send that pain signal to the brain, yeah. is, the, is the basic explanation of it. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> First time in months and months and months yeah with no pain because pain's quite wearing yeah constant draining. pain especially in the back because of how it goes out to everywhere else in your body is unbelievably exhausting yeah because you can't move any other part of your body without it affecting you yeah body. and you're not sleeping well to begin with so it's not like you wake up fully rested and refreshed and so it's another day i'll just do this like a tough workout <sighs> it doesn't work that way no does it? no, no it's constant so anyway, this worked. He said, Look, I can give it you for a week um, to try. He says, and then we need to take it out yeah. because it, it'll embed itself too, too well. He said, and then we have to apply for the funding. I said, okay. So it worked. Went back, had it taken out, applied for the funding, had to wait six months. Oh. And that, those six months were really agonizing because you know something works. Yeah, and you can't have it. And you can't have it. Yeah. And then when I got it, it was uh, it becomes internal. So they they put the power pack into the abdomen, then they wire it through into the spine, and then you're under a hand a handheld remote control to switch it on and off and up and down. And it causes some problems when you go into electrical shops or the airport scanners yeah. and those sort of things, you know. But less so these days. And it works, and I've had it for twenty years now plus. And every five or six years, you need to be opened up to change the battery. Just going to ask that, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's fantastic, absolutely fantastic piece uh, of kit. What is it called? It's called a neurostimulator. All right. I hope to never need to know that. Um, but... In actual fact, I just had a prospective client on the call about an hour ago who has a bad back. Yeah. Uh, really severe, and we were talking, and and he heard me say it somewhere before and he said what's that thing you've got he said i want to see if we've got it here mm. he says because uh, i don't i said well it doesn't fit everybody it's not suitable for everybody but yeah ask at least ask yeah yeah you know and uh, anyway he's gone off to try and find out as well all right so uh so i did that did the degree and then i said what do i do now yeah, yeah. A degree. <laughs> you know still not mo very mobile but what do I do? Lots of people are left with a degree at this stage in business management or business administration or whatever. So, yeah. And I'm older than those and also have got not full mobility. Do you, so the, do you have sensation back in your leg or you just didn't have pain? Uh, no, the sensation came back much later. Okay. Yeah. And that was a secondary gain, really, because it was a good question, actually, Brian, because when it cuts the pain signal off to the brain, yeah. that signal's got to go somewhere. Yeah. 
And what it seemed to do was regenerate the nerves in the left leg. Hmm. So I've got probably most of the, mostly back just the outer edge of the left foot now and the toes yeah. don't have that sensation, but everything else seems to wow. walk, walk in fine, everything. That's amazing. Yeah. But you, I do a talk called Targeting Lampposts. It's about adversity into action. Because when I started walking again, yeah, I would walk, get out the chair, and walk from one lamppost to another, yeah, because that's all I could manage, yeah. Back in on the other crutches, on the chair, out another lamppost, a bit like the interval training, fart leg training, yeah, but you know in slow motion, and then gradually two lampposts, and then you just build up over months three lampposts, yeah, and all I would do was target lampposts, and. You have to have, well, I had to have these things in front of me ready, yeah. you know, to move forward. And you you have to get into that mindset yeah. of, I could, it's like when you start doing, going to the gym. If somebody starts going to the gym, makes a New Year's resolution, and they haven't been to the gym, gym in years, they're not going to see results in the first few weeks, tangible results. It's over a period of time when they've had that level of consistency and application that they start to see the results. Yeah. And uh, Facebook's quite good for that. Occasionally you'll see these these guys or these girls that have started out and they give a photograph of them when they started, then a month later, another photograph, and a yeah. month later, another. And those particular intervals are when they start to see the, the physical changes and the mental changes. Yeah. Week by week, ne not necessarily going to see them to that degree. Yeah. They're there, but you're not necessarily going to see them. And it's the same with your mental mindset when you're trying to overcome an obstacle or an adversity. You've still got to have that interval and work consistently consistently in between that in order to achieve and to move forward. And I work with you know a lot of my clients and have to say that to them, you know. This isn't an overnight thing. Yeah. You know, we we need to work at this and you need to be 100% committed. I'm 100% committed to serve you if you're 100% committed to work with me mm -hmm. uh, to achieve what you want to achieve. And I don't wave magic wands. It, you know, it, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. I'd love it to work that way, but it doesn't. Yeah. You know, we have to work together. I do think um, the lamppost idea, and, and it, it's one I've talked about a lot too, is going back to your point on celebrating the wins. I mean, this is how to structure true goal achievement. A real goal is one that moves your life forward. It's not, you know, reach for the cup. That's that's not a goal, but to, I don't know, stay hydrated. What, something bigger. It's got to be, you know, the achievement, getting that degree, building a business, winning the game, whatever it is. But sometimes that goal may seem too big in the right here and now, like your first day back at the gym. Yeah. So having those lampposts along the way that you can get to recognize and then not stay at, but look to the next one after you've yep. celebrated a bit and it's the the string together of all those lampposts you walk again yeah you, know, you lose that weight you get the degree you win the game whatever whatever the big goal is yeah um yeah and the other thing there with the lamppost is is that's quite interesting and it and it taught me it taught me something was that if you move to one lamppost with effort and and you know agony and effort and but you get there the next time you do it, it might be a little easier. And the next time you do it a little easier. And then when you go for that second one, that first lamppost is easy, but the second one becomes the agony and the effort. Yeah. 
And you have to be repetitive in your actions mm -hmm. in order for something to be more comfortable or to be easier for you. Yeah. And that has to be repetitive, but it also has to be consistent back to what we were saying earlier on. Yeah. So it's not just a case of going from one lamppost, then got targeted another one, then targeted another one. You might target that first lamppost to 10 times before you get to it with ease. That's right, yeah. Before you can move on to the second one. And it depends entirely on what you're doing in your life. Yeah. I think people need to be prepared for that. And I certainly, when I'm working with people, prepare them for that. Yeah. You might have to do this multiple times before you get past this point. You know, and when we're doing our goal, goal setting, it's building in those lampposts, as you put it. I think that really worked well. Yeah. For them to understand it. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's, that's where I got to. Um, and I thought, well, what do I do with this degree? And uh, I tried a couple of things. And they were okay, but one of them was like living out of a suitcase, and uh, I wasn't really into that very much. And uh, a friend of mine, he said, I've got somebody that's gone sick. Could you cover for them for a couple of days if you haven't got a contract on at the moment? Said, okay, we, yeah, fine. And it was teaching at a college. Mm. And uh, I covered for a few days, and the guy came back and then off again, and somebody else left the department. And Eddie says, look, you know, you enjoyed that. You know, do you fancy this? He said, you know, I thought I'd give you an option. I went, I went for it. I went teaching in the college. I was teaching business studies to, to teenagers. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure how, what they do in the States with regards to business education, because we start here at 14 years of age. Yeah, we don't. Generally. Um, they can choose. They choose. It's, a, it's an elective subject at 14. Yeah. They can choose that. It's a two-year course um, in business studies. And... I have to say, a lot of them, what they get taught in those two years is more than what some people, when they open up their first business, know. I'm sure. <laughs> Which is uh, quite, you know, inspiring, really. And then they can choose to go on to the next level, which is when they're 17, 18, in a higher level of business studies. So by the time they've hit 18, they've probably done four years of business studies before they go to university, for example. So these these kids are really switched on. You know, there's some very, very sharp, bright, entrepreneurial youngsters out there. And they just eat these courses alive. You know, yeah. they really soak everything up like a sponge and come at it with different ideas and different angles. And, okay, well, if I did this, I'd go into the business doing this. Or, or they see opportunities in everything. And it's so refreshing. Yeah. So, so I, I did that for a while. Um, and then I went and moved and went to another college and became a leader in the college of the department. And we taught business people, accounting, leadership, management as well, as well as the students, as well as having contracts in schools to deliver business as well. So it was a really active environment to be yeah. in. Um, and then we went to live in Spain for a few years. I got a job in Spain as a teacher over there. And uh, I became a head of school when I was in over there as well, in the, in the same environment. Were you walking then? Were you still using crutches? Yeah, Were... yeah. I, I progressed then to just a, a walking stick yeah. um, and then left that off. All right. So it was a really slow progression, but yeah, yeah it, got to, it got to that point where it was fine yeah. to do that. That's great. So, but I went to the opticians one day just for a normal eye test, and he said, you've got a cataract in your left eye. 
okay he said oh, so what do i do with that then he says you just go and get a see a specialist and they they remove it you know, yeah. so, okay fine so i did that but the sight didn't improve in the eye and i didn't really know there was a problem because your other eye kind of overcompensates yeah and uh, when they did the eye test they said no it hasn't improved so they investigated it and they said oh you've got this uh particular condition I said, okay and then i saw somebody else and he said no no it's not that it's something else and i think i saw four or five specialists who all thought it was related but not the same thing yeah until i went to um one particular hospital here in the uk that's famous for eyes the moorfields hospital and they said no okay they did lots of tests and you've got this condition it's progressive it's happened it's manifesting in one eye it could manifest in the other but we've got no time scale yeah right okay what do i do now is you just carry on as a normal life it's fine i said look we're going to go and work in spain is that okay they said, yeah yeah just go and enjoy yourself Okay. How old were you then? Well, how old am I now? Um, that was, look, probably 2020, that was 20, uh, about 47, Okay. 45, 47. Yeah. I mean, with each of these things, you're far too young in the, you know, what people would think of to face a you know, medical retirement already. People don't think about retiring in their 30s unless they've had some windfall selling a business or something like that and then again in your 40s is still you you have i mean you know we're talking about 60 year careers so at least 45 year careers in that time frame so you yeah, still have yeah. quite a ways to go in whether it's working or not just enjoying your life and taking it all in so it's it's a lot to face in your 40s yeah but we went because because they had no time scale they had yeah. no they couldn't say. They just couldn't say. You know, yeah, will yeah. it will it happen in the right time? No. Will it will it be next year? No. They have no idea. Yeah. So we just thought we'd go and we'd enjoy ourselves. And that's exactly what we did. Yeah. I went and enjoyed the job. We love living in Spain. We we lived in a Spanish community with hardly any English speakers, which forced us to speak Spanish, which is what we wanted to do. Yeah, and hence your Spanish speaking abilities now. Yeah, we've got yeah. many, many friends, and they're all Spanish speakers, and many of them don't speak a word of English, which yeah. is, you know, fine. And we we did a lot of traveling. I mean, we like to travel with a purpose. Normally, it comes ends up with a concert or a gig. Yeah. And uh, we drove from Spain to Italy to watch Andrea Bocelli in the middle oh. of Tus Tuscany. We drove to Leipzig in Germany um, to see an opera and then a jazz duet we liked in the Bayerischenhofer in Munich in the jazz club there and we drove to the mountains in Luxembourg to see gypsy jazz guitar in the mountains yeah. and all these sort of things we had real adventures you know we had a really yeah. good time and then in 2015 I woke up one morning and the right eye had gone as well ah. and it was showing signs of it but you couldn't be sure and then it just too much and I, I tried to carry on working and they i got a big desktop magnifier for documents i got a large screen computer i got audio and everything yeah and, and in the end the, the doctor just said no because in, in spain it's very cut and dry you're either suitable for work or not suitable it's apto or no apto and he said no no apto <laughs> yeah i've got to finish and and that was it i thought well okay the first thought was what do i do now yeah not Oh, why me? Yeah. Because I've heard that, I've read that many times with lots of, and I've never really, you do ask the questions, okay, once in the blue moon, you know, God, why me? But 
not have that why me attitude because it's just a blip it's a fleeting moment and then yeah it's what do i do now yeah and uh so i prepared i thought well this this could not this could be going the wrong way i could be end up medically retired here again yeah so what do i do so i started writing using a microphone and i'd written articles and reports and all that sort of stuff over the years but never written fiction yeah never even written a story since school sort of thing you know I thought, oh, well, I'll give it a go. So I wrote this uh, young, my target market was young adults because I was used to working with teenagers. Yeah. So I thought, I'll write this young adult uh, novel. And it just came to me, these ideas, and I, I wrote it. And I thought, I don't know if it's any good. I, I, I'm not a, a writer or anything. I, I need to, some guidance on this. And again, this is asking for help. So I found a manuscript appraisal service. and. Uh, I sent it off, paid my money, and uh, a quite uh, a well-known author over here appraised it and came back and gave me some feedback and you know what I could do to improve it and, and everything. So, yeah. But overall, it wasn't bad for a first yeah first time. I was I was I was quite pleased. So anyway, I did that, um, put it out there, and it's really tough as a writer these days. These writers, I take my hat off to them because they're. The amount of times that you have to send out a query letter to get a response is phenomenal Yeah, uh, yeah. to get published. So I, I self-published it in the end, and that was okay. And I did a, a short story, and then somebody said, look, you've got a military background. Why don't you do something in crime fiction or or thriller or something yeah. like that? So I so I did. I wrote three, and they went down really quite well. I was, I was pleased with those. But what it got me realizing was, it's very isolating. And every occupation I'd had previously was working with people. Yeah, this is quite different. And I miss people. Yeah. And the writing, fine, with a microphone and the, the computer reads it back to you. You read it into the computer and it yeah. types it for you. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, Technology, yeah. Second to none. Fantastic. But people, no. Yeah. <laughs> and then some friends wanted some well, coaching, essentially. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to do coaching again. And I said, I, I came back to coaching. Uh, I still write, but I'm writing nonfiction now. Yeah. And and I, I just love the coaching. It's yeah. just working with people and just seeing them succeed. I mean, yeah. I'll give you an example. There's three ladies who are in the Atlantic Ocean at the moment rowing on the Talisker Challenge. And they've been at sea since December the 12th. Yeah. And in two days' time, they should land in Antigua. This is about six weeks. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. So three of them. Yeah. And they, in, know, in one boat, or are they separate? In one boat. All right, so people, just uh, yeah. <laughs> going back to that point, yeah. Yeah. So I worked with them prior to them leaving. Uh. With them, one's a mother and daughter, one's, one's 60 years of age. Oh. And profoundly deaf, um, and her daughter, and then the other one lives in the town I live in, mm. uh, which is how I got to know about the, the team. And uh, we work with them on on coaching techniques, um, you know, building resilience, going through adversity, conflict management. Because working with three in a boat for six yes. weeks yeah. can be a little bit. Frocus at times, one would imagine. Yeah. So we worked as a team to do that. 
you know, how we, they would deal with it when they're out there yeah. in the ocean. And, and it was a fantastic experience working with them. And now to follow them, track them online and, and get all the updates from them. And they're now two days away from landing. That's really exciting. So it's been 3,000 miles, yeah. you know, from the Canary Islands, uh, Spanish Canary Islands to Antigua. So when you have those kinds of experiences, that's yeah. really rewarding, you know? Yeah. Uh -huh. It just goes to show what, what you can do. Yeah. And of course, they have no lampposts along the way, but or they're invisible ones. Um, I, I did want to want to touch on something, um, and maybe this is a, a strong point for us to to close up with. Um, when you talked about those why me moments versus the sort of what's next, yeah. Why do you think it is that you tend towards the what's next over the why me? You know, beyond that momentary, because as I think about your life story and the arc in that even from your you know your earliest days with the frequent moves and that that situation you describe in classes all the way through each of these three you know four depending how you look at your your uh, eye example that you know is that one or is it two major moments that could have been very why me each one of those latin class situations the medical situations you know whatever it is could have been why me i'm sure there were moments in the marine training that would have counted as why me moments as well oh, plenty. yeah um and yet you did look to the the what's next and this has actually been a really tricky thing for folks to pick apart is why are some people more resilient than others and i'm curious if you if you have any reflections on why you've been able to look that way wow good question some some people have said it's uh, inbuilt yeah some people say it's learned and I think I remember one particular day. One particular, I'll, I'll tell you this one particular day. I, I joined this school, and uh, it was an all boys school. Um, in those days, they weren't mixed, but it was all boys. And uh, I was going for the bus, and these three big youths, these big, big boys, big kids, grabbed me, turned me upside down, emptied my bag, everything. You know, yeah. really give me a, a rough because I was one of the new kids. You yeah, know, that's what that's what they did. And they uh, they were much bigger than I was. I always remember this, and I thought. And I remember getting picking all my stuff up and being there on my own, new the new one, picking all my stuff up, put it in the bag, and watching these three walk away. And I thought, never again will that happen. Yeah. Never again will that happen. And I remember then, I think it was 11, making a conscious decision at that time that that will never happen again. And that's when I think a mental switch comes on and you, you look at things differently. You look at opportunities differently. Mm. And, and I remember going, that's when I went to my first martial arts class. Mm. I thought, well... If I go to this, other people will know I go to this, so it'll reduce the impact of people having this. Yeah. But it's, it's a, it's a double-edged sword because some people like to challenge you because you're doing these things. Yeah. But that was less frequent than the others, so that's yeah. fine. Yeah. But I remember these three, and I remember in the days that followed, I would see them at school, and I waited till they were individually you know, on their own. 
I remember one was walking down the passageway and I waited around the side of the wall with my bag and I just swung it around full pelt and hit him and he went down. Yeah. And I had satisfaction in that and he didn't touch me again. Yeah. And I did the same to the other two. And the headmaster caught me on the third occasion. <laughs> and I said, ah, oh, you're right, okay. And I explained what was the situation yeah. was. And he said, right, but he said, you can't be seen to be doing these things. I said, no. I said, but those three were seen to be doing something, but nothing happened to them. Yeah. I said, because there were teachers in the vicinity, and nobody did anything. Oh, interesting. And he's like, oh, oh okay, okay, sort of thing. He said, well, that's, that's good to know. And he, he was a fair guy. I think his name was yeah. Tom, Mr. Tom. He was a really fair guy. Anyway, he hauled these three in, and, and I was there as well. He said, I'm going to give all four of you a punishment, and, and that's what he did. He gave all four of us a punishment, Yeah, which was something like sweep the gym, I think it was, something like that. And But I remember that day that little switch came on about, this is not ever going to happen to me again. Yeah. You know, and I've always had the attitude of if something knocks you down, you get up and you just carry on. Yeah. You know, and you, you have, for me, it's, there is no other option. There is no other choice. Yeah. Now, I know for some people I've spoken to over the years, they don't have that same mindset. They don't have that same mental attitude. But then when you speak to them, it's in there. Yes. They just haven't tapped into it. Yeah. And for me, I, I really feel for, for people who can't access that. Yeah who can't tap into that because we are all so much more than we think we are. Yes. Yeah. And it's just realizing that and being able to access it. And sometimes you need somebody external and not, 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 it's not, some, it's not necessarily your friends and your family either, because some, with all due respect to all friends and family out there, they tend to keep you in a box. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're kind of pigeonholed. You know, this yeah. is this is that person, and this is what they do. And if you step out of that zone, they why? What are they doing this for? Why are they doing that? Yeah. And you sometimes need somebody external to, to open you up to unlock you. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. You know, and, and being in the services, I think, like in the marine training, they unlock you. Yeah. Like there's no other unlocking. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> they really open you up, and you tap into everything to the reserves and the strength you never dreamed you would have. Yeah. Yeah, Paul, there's something you said a moment ago that you said, for me, there was no other choice. And I think that phrase can be echoed regardless of which way you're looking at the coin, yeah. either that you have no choice but to sit and and be knocked down. And by the same token, you're saying I had no other choice but to pick myself up. And I think that's actually where, that's where the insight lies. The The words, the framing is exactly the same. You always have the choice. It's a question of which one of those sides you've chosen to stand on and seeing the other as not an option anymore. But it's always the choice is how you see the other side. Yeah. And you asked earlier on about the those why me moments yeah. and the and the I, I'm going to move forward moments. Yeah. And what happens is is the more you do the I'm going to move forward moments, the more insignificant the why me becomes. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. And it's that consistency, that repetitive. And if you have to do it consciously, do it consciously. Uh, you know, you say, look, okay, I've just had a why me moment. God, I feel awful now. Okay, how do I get out of that? Okay, what am I going to do now? Where am I going to move? How am I going to move forward? Yeah. And you get that part of the brain active 
in that direction rather than the negative why me. And the yeah. more you do that, the less you have of the other. Yeah. Yes, yeah, very true. Um, Paul's brilliant. Uh, I'm I'm conscious of the time. I've kept you like 10 minutes more than, than we had booked. Um, where can people find you, find your writing, access your coaching, some of these articles that you put out? Okay. Um, if you want to go my fiction writing, you can go on Amazon and just search just for me and you'll, name, yeah. you'll find it. And yeah, I'll, I'll link to your author page on Amazon as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but my coaching, you can get me at coachpaul.expert. That's coachpaul.expert. And Facebook, Coach Paul SS. Twitter, Coach Paul SS. And of course, LinkedIn. Yeah. And we'll link to all of that good stuff and your books. And I'll have to put in a, a US and UK Amazon link. I wish they were smart enough to have one link go to whichever country it's going to, but one doesn't work for the other. No, it doesn't. No. <laughs> um, thank you so much for sharing all of this story. And it is one that does need to be told in its entirety. You know, sometimes yeah, like, well, we does, can skip yeah. this 20 year period because, but because you consistently face things that, exactly what we came to in the end is around this choice and around the the pick yourself up versus the why me and and how you can live with both of those but move forward um it does take the full story to get there so i appreciate you sharing so much of that with us you're welcome and i think we, we said this before i think we went on air about choice yeah you know it, it's one of the greatest life lessons is you get to choose everything yeah you get to choose who you hang out with what you do how you do it who you don't hang out with, whether you suffer, whether you grow, you get to choose everything. So choose wisely. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very sage advice. Um, Paul, thank you for all this. Are you, uh, you ready to help me close the show out? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Today's a new day. Today's a new day in the rest of your life. I'll take it. Uh, excellent. Thanks again for joining me, Paul. Okay. What a great story. And not because it's nice stuff. Like if you, if you've ever suffered back pain, and you know, I said I went through something very similar, a very similar age. If you've been through that, you know, it is really debilitating. And then to also lose your sight. You know, these aren't good things. I don't mean it's a great story in that respect. I mean, it's a great story in the way that this guy didn't let anything stop him. And I love that actually the story came full circle, right? We started with Paul's experience moving around to lots of different schools and how that sort of forced him to be a good communicator and be flexible. And then we finish with this story of him from those early days in school where, again, something else was forced in him that he didn't talk about before, and that was the switch, the switch that isn't going to take it, the switch that isn't going to be content to be put in a box of incapability or put in a box that holds him down. It's not just this is never going to happen again in terms of being bullied. It's about this is never going to happen again in terms of what I want to be, what I want to do with myself, making something of myself, engaging, creating, achieving. That's not going to be able to go away because of the bully of injury or physical limitation or anything else that he faces. And it started when he was 11 and you see it over and over again. Paul is someone who has chosen to push himself, chosen to prove to himself that he can do it, and chosen to not take weakness as a given, but take it as a sort of radar signal of where to dig in further 
from that 63 to that 100 on his math exam. And this is someone who really has been living the difference between why me stopping and wallowing versus a moment of why me to at least recognize, yeah, this hurts, this is difficult, but then immediately say, and what can I do about it? Or what else can I do if it's not about this particular thing that's holding me back? Possibility. It's a theme we've had in other episodes. You can think of Marcus Aurelius Anderson, the gift of adversity. Think of a number of people, kind of everyone who's been on the show. Paul does a great job talking about it. Take that message forward as you go out every day and choose to do it. That's what your possibility is. That's what your options are. So make sure that you check out Paul's work. He has a lot of books. You can get those on Amazon. I will link to the U.S. Amazon uh, books. I'll try to link up to the U.K. one as well. I have to trick Amazon into thinking I'm from the U.K., but um, I know he's got some followers in the U.K., so I will do that. But otherwise, whatever uh, country you're in, wherever you get books, look for Paul's work. Just search for his name. He does have a lot. He's pretty prolific. Um, and of course, you can also work with him at coachpaul.expert, as he mentioned. You can also find more inspiring people like Paul in the archives of this show. So if you're not subscribed, you definitely want to do that. You can go back and see every episode at doadaybook.com slash podcast. And wherever you subscribe to podcasts, I know different platforms only show a certain number of episodes. Usually it's like the last 50 we're over 100 now, so you won't see everything, but you can always get to that at doadaybook.com slash podcast. And please do subscribe if you're not subscribed. And if you are subscribed, or even if you're not actually, go and review the show. We've got tons of reviews out there already. It means the world to me to see what you guys think of this, because I put a lot of time and effort and passion into this. And those reviews are one of the rare ways that I get to hear back from people to know, hey, this is really resonating. Otherwise, watch for Do A Day podcast posts on social media for me at Brian Falchuk. Comment there. I have a few people who are regular listeners who have something to say. They spread the word. That's awesome. It means so much for me to know this just hit someone. You know, this really impacted their day. And I know Paul's message will be impacting a lot of people. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. What is open to you? That's the question that should be front and center for you as you go out and do it. Thanks, everyone. Be well.